five of a five-part series uh, called Paint This Place. And, you know, as I have, from my limited experience, as I have seen uh, and watched and, and been uh, around church, I have noticed that there are things that drive people away. There, there are things about church that turn people off from church. And through this series, we have really proposed to you that perhaps many of the things that turn somebody off from church should also turn the church off as well. We learned about a thing called uh, the temple model from Andy Stanley. And the temple model, basically, he describes it as this, that there, uh, the temple model, and it goes back as far really as history goes back, you can trace the temple model of doing religion. The temple model always has some kind of sacred place where people gather to worship or do whatever they're going to do, a sacred place. There are also always high holy men, almost always men, and these high holy men are there to interpret what is called the sacred text. So there's some kind of oracles or there's some kind of emblem or drawing, some kind of sacred texts that are interpreted by the high holy men, and really only they can tell you what it says and how to live based upon that. And then there uh, are the dedicated followers who listen to the high holy men from the sacred place interpreting the sacred text. That kind of defines religion all through history. And also, God, when he instituted and he started the uh, Jewish, the, the Hebrew uh, nation and gave them their religion and what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, it was also in the temple model. That's the temple model. You know, today in the temple model, there seems to be a lot of hiding places. There's lots of uh, places to hide because people start arguing over what this verse means and what that verse means. And one person says, well, I think it means this. The other person says, no, no, I think it means this. And one person might say, well, I I'm not sure what the Bible has to say about this. It doesn't seem to talk about this subject. So I, I guess we can do this because the Bible doesn't talk about it. And I can only imagine that Jesus just might be listening, looking, and saying, listen, really, guys, really? Do I have to give you a verse about everything? Do I have to address every single topic known to man? Do I have to give you a verse for everything? I can imagine that. Because you see, in the Jesus model, there's not a verse for everything. Really, the Jesus model leads us to ask this question. Okay, in this situation... What does love require me to do? And then that's what you do. Jesus taught that in the New Testament. And the New Testament writers came in and they supported that. Jesus told us that we need to do for the people around us what Jesus has done for us. And this whole, this whole genre of, of letting your life be led by love, as Jesus started this whole new thing, it worked really well for about 300 years. And when the church went from being a persecuted minority to where they became an empowered majority, things began to change. They began to take parts of the temple model and try to mix them in with this new thing that Jesus started, this Jesus 
movement. They tried to blend them together, and suddenly they began to have sacred places. When in the Jesus movement, Jesus said, no more sacred places. They began to have high holy people. When in the Jesus movement, Jesus said, no more high holy people. You don't have to go through a man, a high holy man to get to God. Because of Jesus, you have direct access to God. No more being uh, uh, were the sacred text and the interpretation of those texts controlled by a high holy man. Now Jesus said, I- I've given it to you. You see, they began somewhere around 300 years after the death of Christ, they began to mix back in the temple model with this new thing that Jesus started, the Jesus movement. And suddenly it became something that God did not intend. Because the temple model was over, it was through, it was never meant to be blended in with the Jesus movement. So after hundreds and hundreds of years, some reformers came along And they said, we're going to reject that temple model again. We're going to reject that temple model. And we are going to say that we get our authority not from the high holy men. Our authority is scripture alone, God's word alone. And that sounds really good because that was progress to get back to the Jesus movement. It was progress. But here was the situation. They took scripture And they said, and I agree with, that it was equally inspired. In other words, the the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, equally inspired. All Scripture is equally inspired. But then they added something. They said that all Scripture was equally applicable, which means all Scripture equally applied to everyone's life. Now, that sounds good, but it's just not true. And you say, wait a minute, Harley, that doesn't sound very Christian of you. Let me explain to you what I mean. Because it's not a true statement, and here's why we know this. If all Scripture were equally applicable to your life and to the lives of the people in our communities, then that would mean this. Every man and woman who had an affair would be stoned until they're dead. All Scripture is not equally applicable, is it? It would mean this, if all Scripture is equally applicable, it, it would mean that when your child, when your teenager was disrespectful, then you would take that teenager to the authorities of the city and they would stone your child. We wouldn't be here, would we? <laughs> all Scripture is equally inspired. But it is not all equally applicable. And when you say that all Scripture is equally applicable, then what happens? What happens is this. That people pick out their favorite Scripture, the ones they like the most. And this happened. Uh, This happened. They pick out the ones they like the most, And the ethic of love that Jesus started gets lost because now the Bible becomes a bat. And it's used to pound away at other people. You see, we pick and we choose what is important to us. That's why there are so many 
Protestant denominations today. There are not so many denominations because the people couldn't decide how best to love the people around them. That's not the reason. There are so many denominations today because they couldn't decide how to interpret the text and which part of the text was most important. And in that process, love lost. But I believe we must change that. And if we can't change it, I believe we have to try. You see, the Jesus movement compared to the temple model, the Jesus movement is simple. It is more simple, but it is oh, oh, so much more demanding. But if we will live out this Jesus movement, it will make the gospel almost irresistible. We have this struggle with this word spirituality. We ask the question, okay, Harley, what is spiritual? And we go back to our experience and we say, well, I I had an experience in church that was really spiritual. I felt the spirit move. When that singer was singing that song, when the band was doing that, I felt the spirit move. That was spiritual. Harley, that's spirituality. Or someone else might say, well, Harley, to me, for me, when I get into the Word, and the Word gets into me, knowing more and understanding more about the Bible and God's Word to us, that is being spiritual. Harley, that is spirituality. And those conversations are good, and those things, there's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, that's not how Jesus defines spirituality. That's not how he defines it. You see, our devotion to God, our spirituality in our lives is not measured by how much we know. It's measured by how much we love other people. That's the way Jesus measures it. Jesus talks about this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul wrote about it in the Bible. Um, and it's described as something that comes from God himself. It's, 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 it's from God. It's uh, fruit that he produces in our lives. Let me read you from a translation. It's going to be on the screen. The fruit of the Spirit. Here's how it reads here. The fruit of the Spirit is insight, knowledge, understanding of the deeper things, meaning digging into Scripture, deeper things, the ability to make people want to know more of what you know and the practice skill of presenting that knowledge to the people so that they are spiritually stirred. That translation, that's the TWT translation, um, which, which stands for the wrong translation. We look at that and you say, what, Harley? That's not, that all sounds so spiritual. That sounds spiritual. And when we think of spirituality, that's what we think of. The problem is, that's not what the Bible says is spirituality. That's the wrong translation. That's not right. You say, Harley, but spirituality, I I need that insight. That's when I'm spiritual. Spirituality has nothing to do with insight. Spirituality has nothing to do with how smart you are. 
you, you might look at someone teaching, you might say, wow, they are so godly. No. That's not what godliness is. Perhaps you might better say they're just really prepared. Spirituality has nothing really, really, I know, don't get up and run out. Spirituality really doesn't have much to do with the Bible at all. The early Gentile believers, they were Gentile, which means non-Jewish. That means they didn't have nor use the Old Testament. That was for the Jewish believers. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't grow up in the synagogue. They didn't have the Old Testament. And the, the early Gentile believers, they did not yet have the New Testament. The letters had not circulated. The early believers had no Bible. So where did they get their spirituality? Well, the Bible tells us they got it from the Holy Spirit. Now, let's see what the real translation of that passage in Galatians says. What is this fruit of the Spirit? The Apostle Paul writes about it. Now, listen to these words. I'm going to read it slowly. Don't get too far ahead of me. Kind of hang in here with me in slow motion. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's going to be on the screen. Listen to this. But the Holy Spirit produces His work, not ours. He produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. It's what he produces. Joy. It's what he produces. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And in verse 23, he continues, gentleness and self-control. Leave this on the screen for just a minute. You can scroll back to these others. It goes on to say, oh, there's no law against these things, this fruit of the Spirit. Kind of list, there we go, right there. Hang on to that. There's a sample right there. Look at those words. Love and joy and peace and patience. Look at those words. You don't have to even be able to read in order for God's Spirit to produce those things in your life. Notice that these things are not vertical. It's not between you and God. It's not between you and your relationship with God. That's vertical. Guess what those are? All of those things are horizontal. It's between you and that person beside you, that person over here, that person. It's, it's horizontal. Interesting. This is not something you exercise between you and God. This is something you experience between you and somebody else. And how do you get it? God's Spirit. What is it? It's spirituality. It's a demonstration. Words here. Interesting. Guess what else? This is also, these words here, they are external. It, it, it's, God is doing something in you, but you see it, other people around you see it externally. Interesting. It's also cross-cultural. 
It's not just meant for one nation, one people group, one tribe. It's every nation, every culture. It's also very unnatural. Those things, not natural. It's produced by who? Something supernatural. God's Spirit. So, never be fooled by the man or the woman who knows a lot, but they don't love a lot. Never be fooled by the wrinkle-free, smooth-faced TV personality who has a giant following, who speaks and they inspire, but you never see love in action. You see, charisma, it's not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, Adolf Hitler, he captured the hearts of an entire nation with a microphone. That's the power of the spoken word. That is charisma. But Jesus and the Jesus movement is not measured by somebody's speaking ability. It's not measured by their charisma. It is measured, their spirituality is measured by the fruit of the Spirit. Do you realize the most spiritual person that you know might be the quietest person you know? The most spiritual person you know might be the person who knows the least about the New Testament. But somehow that person has captured what it means to love others the way Jesus has loved them. So I think in order to do this, I think we need to understand another word. We need to understand the word holiness and what holiness means inside of the Jesus movement. Because in the temple model, holiness meant something completely different. In the Old Testament, holiness meant this. God said, I am going to take you, this nation of Israel, this Hebrew nation, And I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to take you and set you apart as holy. I'm going to separate you from all other nations, from all other cultures. You are going to live separate. You're going to live this holy life. I don't want you to take other parts of their culture and mix it in with yours. I want you to be holy and separate. That was the definition in the Old Testament. Why? Because in God's plan, he was going to bring and did bring his Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is God himself in flesh. And he was going to enter into this world through the Hebrew nation. That's why God set them apart. That was the definition of holiness in the temple model in the old testament and we confuse that definition with the jesus movement definition when we think of holiness we think of the temple model we think of the old testament definition of holiness but when jesus arrived the hebrew nation being set apart sanctified being kept apart separate and holy It was to bring Jesus here. Once Jesus arrived, everything changed. 
so did the definition of holiness. Jesus changed it. Holiness in the New Testament There's a new kind of sacred. Now sacred, being holy, is not separating. Now it is engaging. It's not removing yourself from. Now it is entering into. It is engagement with. Here's the example. God gave us the example in Himself, Jesus Christ. God became one of us. God left the amazement of heaven, the glory of heaven. He left that and came to this broken, gross earth. And he came with this broken body. He left that and came here. He came to this broken earth. He came to broken body. He came to broken people. Us and he engaged with us. Now, holiness was not being separate from, it was engaging with. That's what Jesus did. Jesus kept touching unholy things, Jesus kept touching unholy people, sick people, Gentile people unholy people. Jesus wouldn't stay away from them. He kept touching them. He didn't get contaminated by them. Instead, he touched them and he actually changed them. And guess what? That is what we are called to do. Engage. That's what Jesus did. So before Jesus leaves, he gathers his followers around him. And he says this to them. All right, guys. I want you to go. What? What do you mean? Go. I, I mean, we're in this holy, most holy city. I mean, this is where it happened, Jesus. This is where you died. This is where you rose again. What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you want us to go away from here? What do you mean, Jesus? And he says, besides that, I, I kind of want you to split up too. What? I mean, you want me to leave this group? You want me to leave? I mean, these are my homies. I want, you want me to leave? You want me to split up? We're supposed to leave this holy place? And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, I want you to go. I want you to go to all the people. I want you to engage all the people groups, all the cultures. Jesus, they're not like us. Have you seen their hair? Their clothes? Jesus. I mean, I'm more comfortable here. They wear what I wear. We shop at the same stores. They're different than we are. And that's what we are called to do. Jesus says, yes, I want you to go. I want you to engage. You are no longer separate. You are no longer to isolate yourself, to remove yourself. 
Go be a part and love them all the way to Jesus. Holy people in the Jesus movement, holy people have dirty hands, not clean hands. Dirty is the new holy. Maybe the most holy people today at Stuttgart Harvest Church right now at this moment might be the leaders over in First Look who are changing dirty diapers. Never confuse giftedness with holiness. The holiest man in history, in all of history, he became flesh for us. He died covered in his own blood and the spit of all the people around him, and he died covered in your sin and covered in my sin. And what if we just chose to abandon the thinking that says we have to be separate from those people or we'll get dirty. We have to be apart. We have to remove ourselves. When they clean up, they can come here. What if we removed ourselves from that thinking? What if we chose to instead engage the people around us with love? My friends, that will change our church, and that will change our communities. When you're not sure what to do, and you're not sure what to say, ask this, what does love require of me? And do that. Let us not blend this temple model with the Jesus movement. Let's engage with, not disengage from. That means that ritual in the Jesus movement, being sacred in the Jesus movement, means that we will use our lives and our love to engage with other people. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what he did for you. He actually showed up. He showed up. He engaged with us. That kind of Christianity, that kind of following Jesus, it will change the world. And it happened, and it can happen again. It needs to happen again. It should happen again. Imagine with me. What if we got this right? Stuttgart Harvest Church, what if we got this right. No more just showing up and sitting in theater seats in rows. No more consuming in the church, just saying, what does the church have for me today? Or what does the church have for me? No more of that. What if we actually engaged the people around us, where you live, where you work, where you shop? What if we engaged them with love? What if we ask, what does love require of me in this moment? And then do that. What if we as a church decide this 
command of Jesus, this is the command. This is the one command. What does love require of me? And I say this. Let's go change the world. Let's pray. God, I'm so very thankful that you did not wait for me to clean up my life and then to seek you out. But God, in my state of brokenness and my state of despair, you came looking for me. You engaged me. And you didn't beat me down with your word. You loved me. And God, we're so grateful that you are doing the same thing for many lives in this church right now. You are taking broken lives and you are running to them and engaging with them. And God, may we do the same thing in our communities today. May we engage the people around us with love and point them with love, walk them with love all the way to the cross where their lives can be changed forever. Thank you for loving broken people. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.